Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 3 about the two seeds, the seed of the serpent, which is the seed of the devil, and the seed of the woman, which is the seed of the Messiah. Now, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on the Friendship with God radio program, is not only a teacher and pastor, he is also a scientist and CEO of Scanabody's Laboratory. Tom Cantor is also the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, which is the first and original Creation Museum. And as a resource of the month, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher and scientist, is offering a DVD tour of the Creation Museum that features Tom Cantor and leading creation scientists and Bible teachers that cover the Genesis 6 days of creation. We will also include with this month's resource a great book on the Ice Age and the Flood that asks the question, does science really show millions of years? Now, it's a great book that will show you how the Bible and science both explain the Ice Age. Now, if you'd like a copy of the Six Days of Creation teaching and the Ice Age and the Flood book, it's yours for a donation of $20 or more, which helps support the Friendship with God radio program. So call us today at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can call us now or after the program again at 800-247-3051. For more information or resources, you can go online to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org, or again, 800-247-3051. Now, here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 3 about the two seeds, the seed of the serpent, which is the seed of the devil, and the seed of the woman, which is the seed of the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for inviting us into your treasure house, opening up your chest of treasures, and giving to us as the hymn says, jewels rich and rare. Father, do open our eyes from the distractions of this world, Lord, and let us see our blessed Lord Jesus in the Scriptures this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, Genesis 4. We came to a new chapter today. Congratulations to me. I don't know. Anyway. So here we are in Genesis 4, and we're going to continue now. So I'm going to read this so we get the overview and get the flavor here. Read this now. Genesis 4, beginning of verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect, had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance full. And the Lord said, Cain, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and now art thou cursed from the earth. 
and which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee your strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass, every one that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, she conceived bare Enoch. And he built a city, and called the name of the city which he and after his son Enoch. And unto Enoch were born Ired, and Ired, Mahujel, and Mahujel begat Methusiel, and Methusiel begat Lamech, and Lamech took unto him two wives, the name of the one was Ada, the name of the one Zilhah, and Ada bare Jibel. He was the father of such as dwell in tents, and such as of cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zilhah, she also bare Tubalcane, an instructor of every artificer of brass and iron, and the sister of Tubalcane was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives Adah and Zilhah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. Wonderful passage. Okay, now a little bit of review. Last week we saw when the marriage was shattered, which it was, between Adam and Eve, immediately we saw God move in and brought about situations that brought Adam and Eve to find new appreciations for each other. We saw how God immediately announced the Redeemer was going to come through Eve, and when God did that for Adam... He found in Eve, Adam did, a new appreciation for his wife. And we saw how God made Eve to see in Adam a protector, a guide. And she saw in Adam something new, a new appreciation. So from what God did, we saw last week, immediately to rebuild this broken, shattered marriage, we come to understand something about God. What is it? That no one cares for our marriages more than God does. That's true. No one wants our marriages to survive more than God does. No one wants to make a husband and wife find new appreciations for each other more than God does. And that's God. And then we saw last week how God was a great encourager to Eve. I mean, Eve, last week we saw that God had compassion on Eve. I mean, Eve was depressed. And she had a reason to be. Well, I shouldn't put it that way. But anyway, I mean, she brought this deadly rebellion against God. She brought it in. She dragged her husband into this inner death. She destroyed their marriage. She had every reason. She brought death into the world. She had every reason to call herself the mother of all death. Very depressing for poor Eve. But God saw that, and God stepped right in as he did, made the greatest promise to her that the rescuer, the redeemer was going to come. And he said, through you, Eve, it's going to come through you. We'll call him, among the other, join all the glorious names, we'll call him the seed of the woman. 
And so that brought to Adam a new appreciation, a special title. And then he turns to her and says, Oh, you're now the mother of all living. Okay? Now, God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that for Eve, but he did. And it teaches us something about God. He wants to deliver us from depression. God wants to deliver us from depression. Sin is depressing. I mean, she had sinned. Sin is depressing. And no one wants us to be delivered more from the depression of sin than God does. And we saw him doing that with Adam and Eve. So you're kind of facing this direction here. And it was the things that were behind that paralyzed Adam and Eve. It was the things that were behind him and her that depressed them. And what was behind them? It was the memory of them taking that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the thought that comes behind it, why did I do that? And then what was behind them? It was the memory of their conversation or her conversation with the serpent along with her saying, why did I do that? Why did I listen to him? Why didn't I cut him off? It was the giving in that was behind her to the serpent along with the, why did I do that? It was letting, it was for Adam, letting Eve push him or hearkening, as God put it, to the voice of his wife, pushing him into all along the way. And Adam said, they're saying, why did I do that? And all those things are what the Bible calls things which are behind. Those were things which were behind. And the promise of the coming seed of the woman, the promise of the crushing of the head of the serpent, of the serpent, all those things are what the Bible calls things which are before. See? Things which are before. So God tells us what to do with the things which are behind and what to do with the things which are before. And he says that in Philippians 3.13, where Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. That's what we're going to see happen here in the life of these two children of God, Adam and Eve. And we're going to see them forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth. That's the message. That's what we're going to see. It's so exciting to see them come out of this darkness of the things which are behind into the light of the things which are in front of them, out of the darkness of the things that depress them and give them reason to be depressed, and pressing forward into the light of the things that encourage them. That's God. So why should we do that? We should follow this pattern like Adam and Eve did here, the children of God, because that's what God does. In Micah seven nineteen, it says, Thou wilt cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. He didn't say just the sea, but into the depths of the sea. Very deep water. It goes to very deep water, drops it down there. And then it says in Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. I just can't remember it. I can't remember it. I can't remember a lot of things. But God says, this is something I will purposefully forget. Their sins, I will remember them no more. It says in Isaiah 38, 17, Thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Behind thy back. Not in front of me, I can't see him. He doesn't frame our sins and put it on his nightstand. So you can see it all the time. That's not what God does. Behind his back. Isaiah 43, 25, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. And God's eraser is actually a whiteout. That's what God uses, whiteout. He uses holy whiteout. 
because it actually, it covers it. And that's what he says in Psalm 85 too. Thou hast covered all their sin. Covered. And he says in Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east, where is the east? Well, I don't know where the east is. But if east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know why he didn't say as far as the north is from the south? Because if you travel to the north, you keep going to come back to the south again, see? But if you go east, and you'll never come back to the west, because you always go something like that. Anyway, he said, as far as the east is from the west, you'll never come back to him again. I have removed your transgressions from you. So if God does all that, depths of the sea, behind his back, blot it out, <clears throat> cover it, uh, put it behind his back, far as the east is from the west, that's the things that are past. That's what he calls on us to do as well. That's our sin. God wants us to forget them. Forget them because he's buried them, you know. So we don't want to sneak out at night into the cemetery with no one's looking to dig them up again, you know. God says, I buried him. Let him stay there. And instead, look forward. Look forward to what? Well, for Adam and Eve, new opportunities to serve him. New, new opportunity to bring um, good into the world. Heaven, a land of righteousness. And so that's what he did. Now, we come to chapter 4, verse 1, which is the start of a new section, so to speak, but it has a very strong tie-in with chapter 3. And what many people do here is they come to chapter 4, and they come to, like, verse 16, and they say, oh, boy, here we go. Here we come with the begats, the borns and the begats, you know. So pass the pillow, and I'll wake up when it gets to chapter 6. Then I'll get interesting again, you know. And uh, I don't want you to do that. We must not do that. We must not check out on this. God didn't say, well, I've got to put this someplace. I guess I'll just slide it in here. That's not the way it worked. These chapters are a continuation of chapter 3. It's all tying together. Because the key to seeing the importance of these chapters, and look at it, is chapter 3, verse 15 again. Very important. God says here, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, it shall bruise his heel. This vital verse here, which it is, it begins to unfold for us a very important mystery. It's a mystery. What's it the mystery of? What did God say that there was going to be two of in verse 15? Seeds, right? Two seeds, okay? They're called the seed of the serpent. Thy seed is talking to the serpent. And the seed of the woman, okay? So there we have it. The seed of the woman, that's the Messiah. He's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. The Messiah is the seed of the woman. That's the seed of God. Now what does it say that the relationship is going to be between these two seeds? They're bad. Yeah, warfare. Enmity. The, the Bible has always these majestic understatements or says so much without saying a lot. Anyways, enmity, warfare, opposed to each other. So what we've identified is that there's going to be a seed of the devil and a seed of God. And the big question is, who is the seed of the devil and who is the seed of God? Hey, I'm so glad you asked. All right, so turn, if you would, to John 8, verse 40. John 8, verse 40. And we're going to answer the question, who was the seed of the devil? Okay. Now, you see here, John 8, 40, he's having this discourse, this discussion, rather public, with those who were less than his followers. Or let's just say they were his enemies. Well, they were. So in John 8, verse 40, it says, but now, he tells them, now ye seek to kill me. Very important. Ye seek to kill me. A man that hath done what? Told you the truth. 
So we have the issue of murder, and we have the issue of lies and truth on the table. Which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. And we have the issue that Abraham didn't do those things. So then he says in verse 41, Ye do the deeds of your father, of your father. Then said they unto him, Well, we be not born of fornication, the low blow. We have one father, even God. Then Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, so he's saying the devil is their father. God's not their father. If God were your father, what would you do? You would love me. Okay, that's what he says. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? He's saying, why can't you get this? Even because you cannot, you don't have the ability, hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. What he's saying here is that you are the seed of the devil. So these are the seed of the devil. He says, the lust of your father, you will do. What was the first characteristic of Satan? He was a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth. So if he didn't stay in the truth, that means he stayed in lies, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. Two characteristics of Satan, murderer and liar. So who was the father of this people? The devil. They were the seed of the devil. That means that if the father is the devil, then there's the seed of the devil. Two characteristics of the devil, murderer and liar. That's what they were trying to do, lie and murder. How could you tell that these are the seed of the devil? Because they're doing what the devil does. He kills and he lies. So to do these deeds, these basic deeds of murder and lying, that just identifies someone as the seed of the devil. Now turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Turn to Acts 9, 1. And so here we have the first introduction. Enter onto the stage. One, Saul. Saul. And in Acts 9, 1, we have the introduction of Saul, and it says here, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. So is Saul doing the deeds of God or the deeds of the devil? It's the devil, right? Slaughter, kill. And he wants to stop the disciples, stop the truth. So Saul is the seed of the devil here. Now turn, you'll just turn a few chapters over to Acts 14, verse 8 through 10, and many other passages could be talked about, but here's one. And there sat a man of Lystra, impotent at his feet, being a cripple from his mother's room, who never has walked. The same heard Paul, that was Saul, now he's got a new name, Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, and he said with a loud voice, stand upright of thy feet, and he leaped and walked. So here we have Paul, he's preaching, he's healing, another place, he preaches for such a long time, someone falls out of a window, and his dad, and he lies on him, and he really gets up, you know, we saw it was, Paul. All right, anyway, Paul here, what we see him here in these other places, is he acting like God or the devil? He's acting like God, right? He's doing the deeds of the devil or God? He's doing the deeds of God. He's acting like God. So, this person who was the seed of the devil is now the seed of God. Does the Bible support that, that a person can change their seedship? <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> Can you change your seedship? Does the Bible tell you that? Well, look at John 1, 11 through 13. Now, here is very interesting about this seed. Uh, John 1, 11 through 13. What does it say? It says, He came unto his own, Jewish people, and his own received him not, unfortunately. Well, that's not in the Bible. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, 
To them gave he power or authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. There's an event that is described in these verses here. There's a very specific event, and that event is called received him. And what it says is that for the most part, the Jewish people did not receive him. They didn't have that event in their lives. But a few of the Jewish people received him. And many of the Gentiles have received him. And together, those few Jewish people and the many Gentiles, they make up a group that is referred to in these verses as the many. As many have this event in their lives of receiving him. And that event was so significant in their life that following that event, God gave them the power or the authority. He gave them the authority to what's the big word here? Become. It's the power to become. It's the authority to become. What does become mean? Become means that they were something before and then they became and there's something different afterwards. See? And what is it that they became? Sons of God. They got a new seed ship. See? Sons of the devil, sons of God. They became sons of God at this event of receiving him. See? And so before they were sons of the devil, like all of us, see the devil, that's the way we're born. But through receiving him, they, us, we become the seed of God. So there you have it. Those are the two seeds. That's their source. So what's the difference between these two seeds? Well, that's where we're going to see the Bible now take us. Because when we finish chapter 3, we leave the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and we see how these two individuals, Adam and Eve, are obviously the seed of God because they cooperate with God. So they cooperate with God, see? So when God said to them, take off those fig leaf aprons, those stupid self-made fig leaf aprons, they took them off. They obeyed God. When God said, let me clothe you with the God-made coats of skin, they let him do it. See, they said, gladly, Lord, gladly. See, they obeyed God. Okay? When God told them their Redeemer is going to come from Eve, they tracked very positively with God when he was saying this. And Adam, tracking along, says, oh, you're the mother of all living because your Redeemer is going to come through you. Simply stated, Adam and Eve obeyed God. They were in obedience to God. They repented of their sins, sort of, more or less. And they wore God's provided coats and began to center their lives on this promised one, the seed of the woman, who is God's hope. That's what's forward, see? They're pressing forward. That's God's hope for the coming Messiah. So color Adam and Eve the seed of God. Color them that way. They're obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has told them in Genesis 3.15 that there's going to come another seed of the serpent. But Adam and Eve are the only ones who are on earth. And they're all the seed of God. It's like being in church there. And they only see themselves and they're both the seed of God. And so I suppose Adam could have asked his wife, are you the seed of the devil? (laughs) Maybe when he got mad at her, he might say that. Better he doesn't say that. Anyway, but they're both the seed of God. And so what God told them in Genesis 3.15, they didn't see any seed of the devil. There was no evidence of this other seed that he's talking about. I mean, the world population is two at this point, at that time. But God was preparing them. And God told them, even though you don't see it, 
you better be prepared for it. Because I told you in advance in Genesis 3.15, there is going to come a seed of the devil. It's coming. And so God was saying to them, just tuck that information away. You're going to need it. Tuck that information away. There's coming a seed of the devil. There will be a serious warfare between these two seeds when they come on the scene. So Adam and Eve, they don't know, but we know because, you know, we read ahead. So Adam and Eve, they didn't know that a great mystery was about to be unfolded before them that was absolutely going to knock the wind out of their sails. It's going to put them both. It's going to really knock them for a loop. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. As a reminder, all of our messages are available for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org and also on iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages there for free listening and free download. You can also support us by going online to friendshipwithgod.org so that we can continue to broadcast on this station in your city. Now, Tom Cantor also wants to offer you a great resource this month. Because Tom Cantor is a scientist as well as a pastor and Bible teacher, but even more than a scientist, he's the owner-operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. And as our resource of the month, Tom Cantor's offering a DVD tour of the Creation Museum that covers the six days of creation and the seventh which God rested. So Tom Cantor's got the leading creation scientists that are speaking on there as well as great Bible teachers on the book of Genesis and the six days of creation. We'll also include with that this month's other resource, which is a great book on the Ice Age and the Flood that asks the question, does science really show millions of years, including in the Bible? It's a great book that'll show you that the Bible and science both explain the Ice Age and a young earth. So call us right now at 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. And we'll send you these two great resources, the Six Days of Creation DVD tour from the Creation and Earth History Museum, as well as the Ice Age and Flood book, all yours for a $20 or more donation and supporting the Friendship with God radio program with Tom Cantor. Again, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org.